0: pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. Amen. Please, as the word cloud comes up, uh, thank you so much for everybody's participation in leading us into the presence of the living and true God. Uh, What worship is, is not music. It is not just standing or sitting or saying amen or hallelujah. Worship is when you meet with your maker. It is that moment That can be the whole time, it can be a moment, it can be a shock, and it can be a hug. It's when you have that wow moment with God. I pray that you will not leave here without encountering the living and true God. When you come to New Covenant, we want you to know who we are. We're a Bible-believing church that is gospel-driven. Those are dominant every service. I want to be able to point out the fact that uh, you will not come to a church service here that's planned where the Bible is not opened. I mean, obviously, we already have it opened down there, and it's opened up here. But what I mean by opened is that we're going to preach from it. It's not just going to be man's word. It is going to be God's word as flowing through the preacher or the one that God has called to present it. So when you come to this church, we hope that it'll change lives, that will be friendly, that will be uh, a, a blended worship setting where young and old can come, but also those who cherish things from the past and those who cherish things from the present. Uh, we want to come and meet with God just as we are. Uh, this season in 2021, I've been following through and you can see it on the front page of your bulletin from Psalm 2. Our theme that, I, that I've been uh, hanging on to is Kiss the Sun in 21. Uh, that's not S-U-N, but that's the S-O-N. Uh, the Bible says there in Psalm 2 that while the heathen are raging or while the nations are imagining vain things, when the rulers and the counselors uh, that are out there in the different countries and different places, when they take counsel together and they plot and they strategize and they try to cast away the cords or cut the strings uh, with Christianity, when that happens, that's not a beautiful time for us. And I think in many ways we're living through it. 2021 has not been a grand time to see the gospel going forward. At least it has not gone through forward with ease. It goes forward often with suffering. But the Bible tells us in in Psalm 2, not just that all the things can be like that cuz that's the way it was in David's day, but he says the Lord is on his holy mountain. And he says the Lord will have his have people, the secular world, in derision. He can do what he wants to do. His harm is not short. He is able to accomplish all his holy will. And that's why the admonition at the end there, verse 12 of Psalm 2, Kiss the Son, lest he, lest the Son of God, be angry with you, and you would be perishing from the way. If his wrath is kindled but a little. You don't want to be on on the wrong side of God. And that's why I said, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. It's such a beautiful thing as we come together. I want you to open your Bibles today to the Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Uh, we're marching through this text and uh, all the way up to Thanksgiving. I'm going to continue to work backwards. Uh, we are in this particular text. and I want to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant errant infallible inspired word we're looking at chapter uh, 14 verse 22 that's our text today fourteen twenty-two. and it goes the faith that you have keep between yourself and God blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves since that's our key text I want to read it again I'm bringing you all in to the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. He was writing it to people that he was familiar with, but he hadn't been able to visit them. Obviously, they were in the city of Rome. They were in the capital city of Italy. It was the capital city of the Roman Empire. That's where they had, like we would think of it as Washington, D.C. It's where the president and the Senate and all those kind of things gather. That's where the big decisions are made. Well, God had given a calling to the Apostle, to take the gospel to kings and to potentates and to leaders. And one of his agenda items was to get to Rome, to be able to share the gospel there. And since he hasn't been able to get there on the missionary journeys, he writes this letter to them. It only has 16 chapters. It's not that big. You can even sit down and read it in one sitting. 16 chapters. We're still towards the end. We're in the latter section here, uh, from chapter 12 to chapter 16. Uh, In those particular chapters, the apostle is telling the people in Rome how to live with the doctrine that he's already given them. He said, your life is going to be different. And this is how it looks. This is the way the gospel changes you. Chapter 12, verse 1 says that I beg of you, brothers and sisters, that you would be able to present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God. It's reasonable in light of everything that has gone before. Now, when we're here in chapter, chapter 14, uh, he's dealing with a couple of issues, and I'm going to explain them in a moment, but just think through this for uh, as, we, as we look at verse 22 again. The faith that you have. In other words, he's talking to the Christians there in Rome. He says, you have faith. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Kind of interesting to hear it like that. You have faith. Where else does faith connect except with God? Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. You, you need faith in order to connect to God. He says the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is that person. Blessed is the one who has no reason to do this one particular activity. Bless the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he has approved or what he is willing to do. Now I've got your attention. Do you want that blessing? Blessed is the one who doesn't pass judgment on himself. Now, in our text, there's a few other verses that talk about passing judgment. I want to highlight those, if we could. Uh, The next one, if I go back to chapter 14, verse 4, there there is a question that's raised, "Who who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's a great question. Who are you to be able to do that kind of activity? And if you look at the next one in verse 10, in verse 10, why do you? pass judgment on your brother. Why do you do it? Why do you do it? You pass judgment, not on yourself, but on a brother. And then also in verse 13, he brings it out one more time. Therefore, let us not. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. But rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or an hindrance in the way of a brother. These are our texts that we're looking at today. If I could just summarize them for you very quickly. In verse 22, you can see that, that the apostle is, is kind of bringing the argument to a, to a head. He says you have faith, and he says you need, with that faith between you and God, then, you, then you're blessed if you're able to not pass judgment against yourself. Hmm. That's the first time he talks about passing judgment against yourself. Because the previous verses talk about passing judgment against others. If you look again, verse 4, it's about passing judgment about somebody that's under the care of somebody else. It's kind of like a third party. Then if you get down to verse 10, you can see that you're passing judgment on one of your neighbors in church. It's a brother. And then in verse 13, he says... Let's not keep doing that. He says, passing judgment on each other is not a good thing. Now, I want to explain some of these texts today. And uh, to get you in the the thought about it, uh, I was going to go ahead. I was going to begin the service today wearing shorts. Then you would have had the same response that my wife did this morning when I came out with a sweatshirt on. And she says, do you have your marbles all right? Because she said, You came to the prayer vigil with a suit on, with a tie and a jacket and all that, and then you go to church and you got LU on here. By the way, this is not for Lucy. I had to figure that one. LU is for Liberty University. It's uh, where I graduated from, it's actually where Hannah is at school right now. Uh, but then I was going to wear my, my, my big robe, because a lot of you don't get to see the robe very often. I wonder why we don't have the robe on very often. Any ideas? It's hot. <laughs> Yeah, some could say that it's it's the judgment of heat. Uh, but, but when you put the big robe on, uh, which was given to me by my parents when I was ordained many, many years ago, I think in 19, uh, yeah, 1995. Wearing the robe, when I first came up here to Delaware, uh, the pulpit committee told me, never wear a robe. So I took my robe and I hung it up for the most part. And I brought it out as an illustration. I was planning to wear my robe today, and then I was going to take it off and have just the shorts on, but it was just too cold today to do that. Now, what am I trying to to get you to do? I'm trying to get you to think for a moment to almost like check what's going on in your own brain. Hopefully, you're not saying that the pastor's a kook. What I'm wanting you to do is look at your own thought pattern. Look at what's going on In your head. Are you judging me? Are you telling me it doesn't matter? Are you telling me that, man, you should have worn a suit today? Are you telling me that I should always wear my robe and never let anybody see whether I got a tie on or not? You see, what goes on behind the scenes, you may not share but you're still dealing with the issue that's in, in, in Romans chapter 14. The passing of judgment. Guess who's guilty of passing judgment? All of us. In fact, I'm going to try to help. If you get the fourth point, there's some questions on the bottom. You, you, might, have struggle, you might struggle to answer. Because is judging a bad thing? Is it really bad to judge? I mean, you know, the book of Matthew, Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged. Okay, I can take you through many scriptures. There's over 300 texts that talks about judging and the Greek word krinomai. You know, it it deals with with a lot of different facets of things. And I'm not going to have time to go through all of them this morning. But I do want you to be able to see about judging. So let's explain it this way. So the book of Romans concludes after the 16 chapters with a great doxology. At the very end of chapter 16, you can flip through your Bibles if you want to, at the very end you can find the Apostle Paul is saying, oh, how great our God is, how wise he is, because he has a wonderful salvation message. Why is it so wonderful? Because God found a way to take sinners and get them to heaven. That's amazing. And that's how he finishes the book. He says, there's nobody else that should get glory. Now, when you finally realize that the Apostle Paul is going to end on that crescendo, to God be the glory, great things he has done, he has saved sinners like us. That's where he finishes. When he starts, he says, give glory to God, too. If you start in Romans chapter 1, he identifies himself. He says, I'm writing to you guys in Rome and to to the folks there, and I want to give glory to God. So he starts and he finishes with glory to God. But before he gets there, I'm just backing up from the end. In chapter 16, he gives us a great contrast. You're living in this world, and there's going to be people that are on your team and people that aren't. If you look at Romans 16, Verse, I guess it's verse 17. He gives the warning out. He says, There's some people there that have a different agenda. And he says, You should take notice of that. Just think for a second. How would you notice if somebody has a different agenda? Well, you have to look, you have to know what the right agenda is. If you don't have any ability to pass judgment, then you'd never be able to do Romans 16, verse, uh, verse 17 and 18. You wouldn't be able to do that. But all of us, you know, we kind of skip over the fact that the people that we are supposed to salute and greet, you know, Paul has over 27 of them listed in Romans chapter 16. He named name after name after name. I bet you he could name everybody in our church after coming here one week. He's really good with names. Probably better than you guys. Do you know everybody here? You know, this is one of the things that when you realize, whew, passing judgment is easy, because I almost did it to you. How many of you felt a little guilt? You're not as good a Christian as Paul, because you couldn't name everybody's name. You see how easy we can fall right into this game of, of destroying one another or bringing each other down, down. Now, in chapter 15, the last verse, verse 31, the Apostle Paul was telling us, almost like another benediction, he says, I want all of you to be at peace. And I told you that when he gives that admonition to be at peace, what does that imply? It means that most people were not at peace. That means they were struggling, they were in turmoil, they, they, were, they were not having a calm ocean, uh, an, an ocean. If they're on a boat, you can just see them rocking and rolling, and you can see the waves splashing over, and they're all wet, and they're just wiped out. The Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter 15, he tells everybody, I want you guys to have peace. I want all of you to have peace. Isn't that a wonderful thing to get? When Paul was writing his last book to Timothy, he told him that in the latter days there was going to be lots of difficulties and stuff. But he said in chapter 2, he ends up saying, pray, talk to the Lord that you can have a peaceful life. Well, he's telling the same thing to the people in Rome. I want you to have peace. And if you're backing up from that verse, he says, I'm a pastor. I'm going to try to shepherd your souls. I'm going to be visiting you soon. You can see the pastor's itinerary with the pastor's intentionality and also the pastor's uh, integrity. You can read about his all the things he was trying to do in order to try to minister to them so they could be at peace. But if you back up to chapter, I guess it's chapter 15, verse 5. You get the explanation of the mess. There was no harmony in that city. There were a lot of people that had different things going on. And, and the reason they didn't have peace is that, that folks were, were marching to different drum beats. They were following different folks. They weren't all gathered together. They didn't have all unity that you would expect them to have because we're one in Christ. And yet they didn't function very well. And so in in verse 5 there, he says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Wouldn't that be great? If everybody could be in harmony. It's like we were just singing a few moments ago and you get a note out and when somebody else sings another note that blends, it's great. It's not so great if you're singing something that doesn't blend. Well, in the church at Rome, there were some difficulties. That was part of the mess. And uh, today's text is chapter 14. So if you will, follow along with me. I'm going to read the whole chapter now. We're going to march through chapter 14, and you're going to see the flow of thought. The reason why he tells them they uh, they need to have this harmony is because of chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome that person, but not to quarrel over opinions. Can you sense a little bit of stuff going on right here? They're already quarreling. They have differing opinions. And he says, if somebody's weak in faith, you need to be able to welcome that one rather than just focus on all the quarrels. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 3, let the one who eats despise the one who abstains. and let the, He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, but let the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Is it before his own master? If it is between between, uh, him and his own master that he stands or falls, he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. That's one through four. We got that first dose of of, uh, judging, passing judgment. Now, he goes on in verse 5 and picks up a different picture. Instead of eating, this is talking about uh, the days. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days equal or alike. Each one would be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And, you, and since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died, and yes, he lives again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living." So in those first verses, it's interesting how he's brought up the issue of passing judgment and he gets us to Jesus. He gets us to Jesus. Now, in finishing up this uh, this passage, let's look at verse 10. So he looks back, you can almost look at him as a pastor looking at the eyes of the people he's talking to and he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise him? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, just like it's written in the scriptures. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account to himself, of himself to God. Verse 13. Therefore, in light of the fact that we are now dealing with... Uh, the admonition there, are the question, why do you pass judgment since you're going to stand before God and God's going to pass judgment on them? Then he says in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat... Are you no longer walking in love? Or you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do you not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace, for mutual upbuilding. And do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it, when, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And our text, the faith that you have... Keep, keep between yourself and God and blessed is the one who has no reason to have to pass judgment on himself for what he has approved. But what, whatever, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And then verse 15, the first verse, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, Lord. I pray Your blessing on the reading of Your Word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now I've given you a long introduction to try to give you familiarity with Chapter 14 of Romans. I don't expect a lot of you to have it memorized, but a lot of folks categorize this text as the weaker brother, uh, the weaker brother argument. And uh, the interesting thing here is, uh, for the sake of the sermon and the flow, uh, there's three, three points I'm going to take you down, or three paths. The first is the stimulant that often flows into one's passing of judgment on another. In other words, what stimulates you to do this? The second thing that I'm going to look at is the stumbling that typically follows when someone has passed judgment on somebody else. I want to talk about the stumbling that happens. And then thirdly is the substance that providentially fixes one's, uh, that, that fixes the problem of one passing judgment on others. So there's three aspects there. One is the stimulant, the other is the stumbling aspect, and the third is the substance that, that actually fixes it. It's in the text here, and I'm kind of focusing there uh, throughout the whole text. And we're going to stay here in chapter 14 uh, through thanksgiving. Because there's a lot here to digest, and the applications may change your life. They're supposed to, because we're not supposed to be the same. And I'll join with the Apostle Paul in chapter 12, where he says, I beg of you, people in, in New Covenant Church, that you would present your whole life a living sacrifice that's holy, that's acceptable, being labeled as a Christian. It's really kind of neat when you see how all of, all of this works together. So the first thing that we're looking at is the stimulant that often flows into one's passing of judgment. Now, when you think about it, what causes people to, to judge other people? What stimulates it? Well, the clear answer, the easy answer to this has to be Christian liberty. Christian liberty. kind of pains me to say this because I love liberty. In fact, if I took you to several of the passages that you'll find in Scripture, like Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Stand fast in the liberty that you have in Christ. This Christian liberty is an awesome thing. Because we are in Christ, we are new creations, the old has passed away, all has become new. We don't have all the chains of bondage anymore. It's just like going through the Red Sea, we've left Egypt behind, and now we press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're looking forward forward not looking back christian liberty you know what happens with christian liberty we use it some of us end up using it for license some of us use it for legalism and sadly some of us use it lazily or with laziness so in trying to explain christian liberty to you The reason why we have conflicts is because you are free to do something, and I'm free to do something, and you're free to do something, and if we don't do the same thing, uh uh-oh, uh-oh. You you know, just taking the simple illustration, Uh, there's this, this desire, usually that happens in the evening, and you're hungry, and you look to your spouse and say, let's go out to eat. That usually, both people will agree. They're free to disagree, but both people tend to be hungry. Then the problem comes is, what, what are you hungry for? Where do you want to eat? Now, we've perfected that. Tracy and I, we've been married 27 years. Whatever she wants works. <laughs> as long as it's cheap enough. No, as, as long as there's no line. As long as we don't have to drive too far. No, you, you see what's happening? Is that Conflict comes in because we have freedom. Now, this is a beautiful thing, that we have freedom in Christ, and I don't want you to toss it away. There's quite a few people that have tossed it away, and they have tried to get such uniformity among people. I remember being bid by my parents to actually go to some of those Christian schools that have very strict rules. You know, I remember being uh, kind of bribed if I would go to Bob Jones University, and they had many, many, many rules. Uh, I ended up looking at Pensacola Christian College down there in Pensacola. It's a beautiful campus, and they had many, many, many rules. And then there was Liberty University, which had the Liberty Way, which was an oxymoron because it was full of rules. I mean, the first year I was at Liberty, you know... uh, I couldn't even take a car down there because they didn't have enough parking spaces. So they had, they had a checkbox like you were going through a gated community and you couldn't even leave campus unless you had an upperclassman go with you. Mm. It's amazing. Whenever I dropped Hannah off down there, I'm like, she can't even imagine what it was like when we lived under the Liberty Way. Now what I'm trying to tell you is that when you have this Liberty in Christ, to be able to make decisions and discern what God would have you to do, which ought to come after you've prayed and sought, sought his face. God will make your path clear, Proverbs 3, verse 6. You know these verses. I don't know if you practice them, but that God will make your path clear. What are you supposed to be doing today? What are you supposed to be doing this week? What are you supposed to be doing this month? What are you supposed to be doing this year? God should make that path clear. Now, is somebody else supposed to go with you? Hopefully your spouse will stay on the same path with you. It's sad when one goes this way and one goes this way. This is where the conflict comes in. Now, and, and as you're beginning to see how it unpacks, the, the license, the legalism, and the laziness, let me just explain them this way. Some people take that license and say, well, I can do anything I want because I'm a Christian. Paul had already anticipated that, and they said, hey, you know about grace? Yeah, God's so gracious. He will, he will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I can do whatever I want. They abuse that liberty, and it creates conflict. But then there's the folks who abuse the liberty with legalism, and they come up with so many rules. The first rule that I think I broke at the Christian school was about hair. I don't have to worry about that anymore. They used to give me punishment for it going over the top of my ear and touching my collar. Those were the good old days. (laughs) But it didn't stop with hair because then it was what went in your ears. You know, if you listened to any music that, that had a beat, if you had a church that had drums, oh my. I mean, there was a lot of things that were telling you how bad. If you went to a movie house... It was, it was awful, all the things that we couldn't do because our Christian liberty was curtailed. Because in order to be a good Christian, you, know, you had to have women wear skirts that would cover their kneecaps. You could never see if they had a knee. They, they did struggle whether you had to wear a hat or not because First Corinthians 11... Uh, But but it was, but they got to the point where you couldn't drink a drop of alcohol. If you put anything red wine to your lips, you were in sin, quoting from Proverbs. I mean, we had lots of legalism. And it took away a lot of the joy. Because you're looking at it for me as a a Christian young man, I was like, that's not Christianity. That's just rules. As I've grown up, I can see the benefit of rules, especially being a parent. I definitely like to have boundaries for my kids, but I never want those boundaries to be mixed up with what Christianity is. Certainly, you want to make sure that you protect people. I mean, I love the fact that there's speed limits and that there's lines on the road. I love the fact that there's policemen out there. Why? Because it allows us to drive 55 miles an hour when the speed limit's 55, if you didn't have order and direction and rules and some of things, you wouldn't have the freedom to even do what we do do. But I am saying to you that there's laziness, too, is that some of us just don't care. It's not that you abuse the liberty you have. You just don't care about anything anymore. And that's a dangerous place too, to not even engage what's going on, to not have a clue what's going on in our culture. To not even know what's going on within the lives of your parents or your children or your brothers and sisters or your church members. Now, this Christian liberty is what we discover here. And confrontation comes simply like this. When what we're choosing to do isn't what somebody else is choosing to do. And it doesn't take more than two people to have conflict. And how often do you think everybody's in unison singing the exact same music at the same time, going in the same direction, feeling the same kind of feelings? You just don't find that. God has blessed us all with individual relationships with him. And we're all at different places on our journey. Some of you are are babes in Christ, and some of you are seasoned saints in Christ. It's pretty neat. Confrontation of Christian liberty is when somebody else's choice is not the same as yours. It usually boils down to freedom versus regulations, the flow versus form, choice versus control, uniqueness versus uniformity, laissez-faire versus structure. You find it all over the place and people get into difficulty. And, and, And when that happens, simply put, you're doing something that I don't like. You're doing something that I don't understand. You're doing something that is not what I would do. It's interesting when you think about that. That's where a lot of these issues come up. And uh in chapter 15 verse 1, if you have your bibles there, you can see, he says, "We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak." Whenever there is this Christian liberty abuse and somebody is strong, they have an obligation to work with the ones who aren't strong. It's pretty difficult. When I look here, who is more spiritual? Uh, I've got a couple of illustrations that I'm going to bring up, and and when when I ask that question, you might have a hard time answering it, uh, but I almost can tell you a rule of thumb. You'll probably say that you're more spiritual if you like it. And you'll probably say that the other side is less spiritual because you didn't choose to do that side. Okay, now, in our text, we find two illustrations of diet and of days. Okay, And I'm just marching you through a little bit. Uh, the examples in the text in Rome is that some people were concerned about food and some people were concerned about holiday keeping. Okay, That, that the first illustration about the diet is what's food you can consume. It wasn't about the calories, it wasn't about uh, whether it had been purified or not, it wasn't about whether it had been kept in a refrigerator. This all comes down to, uh, when you look at the text there, he says, one person, verse 2, believes he he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Why does Paul say that the guy that eats vegetables is weak? Maybe because he doesn't like vegetables? Because, I mean, I could have made the case that Daniel ate pulse, which is vegetables. Daniel certainly wasn't a weak character. So why is the Apostle Paul blaming the people that are eating vegetables, uh, you know, the vegetarians? Why are they being singled out as being weak? They don't have enough protein? (laughs) Now... The other issue that's brought up here is about the days. And if you follow along there, you'll be able to see that in verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Now, it's kind of interesting there, and I bring up the idea of Halloween. I bring up the idea of actually Thanksgiving feasts or Christmas parties. Um, Santa Claus. How do you do it? Did any of you put up Halloween stuff? Did any of you go trick-or-treating? Did any of you give out candy? Or did any of you get a full bag full of it? Did some of you pretend that it wasn't even Halloween? Some of you already kicked into uh, to Scrooge, bah humbug. It's really interesting that when you start looking at people and how they take care of their holidays, how they decorate their house, how they decorate and how they participate in different things, there's some question here. What days do you honor? Now, when I, when I think about verse four, chapter 14, verse 1, you come back, you've already heard it. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over all of these opinions about all of these uh, the, the Greek word there talks about words. It's words that have thoughts. You know, it's, it's talking through things, explanations. You have your own opinion. And so this is the big issue is that there is, a, there is a mess in the church. There is a lack of harmony because people have different opinions, and some of them have opinions about uh, what they eat and their diet, and others have, have issues about what calendar days they keep. Now, is Rome the only one that's ever had this issue? know if you turn over to 1 corinthians chapter eight i'm not going to go there but 1 corinthians eight they had another illustration the people in corinth they they uh, they had lots of false gods and so they had lots of people who were who were butchers and, and bakers and all those things and they would bring their first fruits and they would bring it to their false gods now when that food was taken to the false gods what happened you know did, did the false gods eat it what happened to that food well, it got recycled. Some people were pretty witty and probably made money on it, and they ended up taking it to stores in different places. Now, the thing was is that if you were in Corinth and you wanted a good steak or you wanted uh, you know, a good chicken or whatever it is that they were cooking over there, maybe a pizza, you know, whatever it is that you could get, some folks said, man, this is great food. Thank you, Lord, for this food. But there were some people who knew all about the false religions and they knew exactly where that food had traveled. They were like FDA agents and they traveled and they, that was over in that false temple. Oh, that was over there. And once they knew about all the tracking of that food, now it was, you can't eat it. It's polluted. Now, you have a trouble in Corinth Paul was dealing with the same thing as in Rome is that you had people that had different opinions. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans tells us the answer. He says, hey, if you got the helicopter view of faith, let me just tell you. When they offer it to an idol, to a statue, to some kind of uh, a building or a stone or an altar or whatever, guess what? There is no God there. There's only one God, capital G-O-D. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you offer it to anything else, it's just a false God. It's just nothing and he says, there's no problem in eating food that's been anywhere as long as it's been taken care of. And you can read a little bit more about that in Acts chapter 10. But I wanted to be able to say, he says, he says so don't worry about it. But then he says, but if someone is a weaker brother and they really get miffed, they get frustrated, they can't handle it, he says, then maybe we need to work on this. And that's where you get the weaker brother issue. You get the truth that sees it all the way through, and then you see the other truth that sees glimpses of it but actually has noble reasons. The people that don't want you to be eating meat offered to idols, that's noble. It's not sinful, it's noble. Now, in understanding this first point, which is the major point of the sermon, I wanted to be able to say that in Corinth, they also had issues about sex, about wine, about broken homes, about whether you should stay with somebody that's, that's not married. You know, if you become a Christian, excuse me, if you become a Christian and you're married to somebody that's not a Christian, do you need to separate from them? If you have children, do you need to split up? And all of this is because people were trying to get answers to their opinions, now, do you understand where we're at? So the, the, uh, the modern examples, just to give you a few, uh, is uh, when it comes to masks. If you wear a mask, are you more righteous than somebody who doesn't? If you get the shot, are you more righteous than somebody who doesn't? If you are in a church that has a political free zone where you never mention anything about politics from the pulpit, are you more righteous or less? If you're in a sexual liberty zone, where you can tell your kids, experiment with sex and find out if it's the right person or not, and then once you do, you can get married if you want to. Are you in that kind of a zone? Does it matter? Are you more righteous or less righteous? Uh, What if you buy into this new line that men and women are the same? There's no distinction. It doesn't matter about divorce because you can marry anybody you want to marry. Uh, you can you can put people in the military. It doesn't matter whether they're moms or whether they're their daughters or their wives. Uh, you can you can even now say that men are are breastfeeding. <laughs> or one that I still deal with: Does it matter if women should be ordained as presbyters, as bishops, as pastors? Uh, what about parenting styles? Some of you have the laissez faire style, and some of you have the strict, rigid, legalistic style. Some of you are right in the middle, like Goldilocks. Does that even exist? Beyond that, we all have our opinions on whether or not somebody that is pro-abortion should take communion or not. Uh, can, you, uh, can you have, can you be a Christian and still play Santa? Can you, um, uh, can you work in a business that undermines Christian faith? We've had these discussions. I remember when, when I even was wrestling through whether my son should work at, at Chick-fil-A or Starbucks. Which one is more Christian? Chick-fil-A is by far the best because they never keep you from church. But, But it doesn't mean that they're more Christian than the others necessarily. Conflicts lead to judgment. People passing judgments. I want to quickly highlight now the, the, uh, the other things, the problems are the, the stumbling blocks that flow out of these judgments, and then we'll look at the remedy or the, or the substance that changes it. So the options when you, when you find that there's a conflict, and we've gone through an awful lot of conflicts, and you're even hearing them now, because, Pastor, I can't believe you brought it up. You see, you're judging me. <laughs> now, when you're judging me, you've got to go through this process of, uh, the number one thing you're recognizing is that we're having a quarrel over opinions. That's really what it is at the moment. Now, I'm going to try to show you that my opinion is more based on the Word of God. I'm hoping that you will do the same, that you're going to try to show that your opinion is based on the Word of God, because if it's, if it's based on the Word of God, it's no longer your opinion, it's God's. But some people still are still dancing through this, and this is part of the reason why we have shepherds. So that we don't just lean on our own understanding or get caught uh, following uh, somebody like David Koresh or somebody. Now, the discernment comes as, number one, you discern that it is okay. So you are, uh, I'm going to use the analogy with Tracy and I. If we were walking down uh, the path and, and she's doing something different from me. So guess what? I have to decide when I look at that, is it right or wrong? So I'm doing what I'm doing. She's doing what she's doing. And they're not the same. So immediately have to, have to figure, is what she's doing right or wrong? Because, of course, I'm doing right. <laughs> now, when, when you figure out that I'm doing right and she's not doing what I'm doing, then I have to figure out, is she right or wrong, or does she have Christian liberty to be able to do that too? If you discern that she is, and discernment is the first key here, you, this is why it's not wrong to discern. In fact, it's absolutely righteous to discern. That you look at what's going on and you say, is this against God or not? And when you find out that it's not against God, Tracy wouldn't do anything against God. Okay? So, therefore, there we are. We are doing different things, but neither of us are doing things against God. And so, because it's been determined that it's not evil, then we can either coexist or I can modify my opinion. I can adopt it partially, incrementally, or holistically. That's the way it works. No real conflict because we see that Christian liberty allows us to be able to do different things that are still both godly and righteous. But the problem comes in in option two, is that if Tracy and I are going down the path, and she's doing something different from me, and I still think I'm doing what's right, and I look at what she's doing, I'm saying, you're wrong. Now I have a big problem, because I can't coexist. I can't just say, oh, well, that's nice. If you say, "Oh well, that's nice," guess what? Then you're going to understand that the Apostle Paul was going to just yell out to you, "Meganoiete!" You can't just continue in sin that grace may abound. To him that knoweth to do good, James chapter four, at the end of the verse, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And if you look at our text in chapter fourteen, verse twenty-two, no, verse twenty-three, but the one who has doubts is condemned. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What has Paul been telling the people in Rome about sin? Sin is wonderful. Sin is fun. Everybody does it. You do it too. If you understand what I'm saying, Paul is not sugarcoating sin. He spends chapters 1, verse 18 and following all the way to chapter 3, verse 24. And he tells us how bad sin is and how devilish it is and how it undermines a relationship with God. In fact, God, the holy God, the righteous God, has to unveil his wrath against all sinners. And he does it with different degrees of level. He pulls back his grace. He pulls back his grace. He pulls back his grace. And before long, you're left to yourself. You don't even get the benefit of some of the common grace. And when you lean on your own understanding you're going to head down the path that proverbs twelve fourteen 14 or fourteen twelve 12 says that leads to destruction the undermining the unraveling of the joy of life you see that in verse 17 and 18 it's so sad when people don't have um, those three things they don't have the the joy in the holy spirit they don't have the peace that comes with god it's verse 17 for the kingdom of god is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. Now I just wanted to finish this path so therefore when, if Tracy and I are marked down this path and I'm right and I determine that she's wrong and the one option I can't coexist because I know it's sin I know sin is wrong what do we do now? Some of you have already come up with the way you handle it. If you've got a grandchild or if you've got a nephew or if you've got a cousin that's involved in an alternate lifestyle what do you do? Nothing? Oh, no. Do you do something? Oh, no. You're going to offend. You're going to make them a victim. They're going to be right that you are a, a phobe. or Whatever it is you are. You're judgmental. Now, what I'm trying to say is, absolutely, we have to discern between right and wrong. But the second point of the sermon is the stumbling block. And that is, people think that you can't make any judgments or you can't do anything uh, because it's so mean and so, so nasty and so difficult and so divisive. What happens is, if you lose love, then you're there. And that's why, if I could open up the scriptures to read some of these for you, uh, it's pretty amazing that in chapter, uh, I have it in front of me right here, the, the verse 15 For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. The Apostle Paul says love is this ingredient that changes ugly judgment into something much better. Now, if you're following along and you're familiar with uh, with the text of Scripture, uh, back up to chapter 10, if you will. You're going to find that in, uh, excuse me, in chapter 12. uh, I think I have it written down for myself. And that is in... in, um, in Romans chapter twelve, he ends up talking a lot about love. Love is a beautiful thing that he doesn't just over—he uh, doesn't just fly by and say, "Oh well, it's no big deal." Uh, I think I have it written over here that um, that there is an there is an opportunity for us to live in harmony with each other. Chapter twelve, here it is. Um, he says in chapter twelve, verse one. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that you are holy, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And in verse 2, he says, don't be just like the world, but be transformed by having your mind renewed so you may discern, testing what you may discern, what the will of God is. Now, this is where you are supposed to judge because discernment is the first part of judging and deciding is the second part. Now, we've already been able to discern whether we're right or wrong. The problem now is deciding what happens next. If you've decided that somebody is in sin because you've studied the scripture and you know that they're wrong, then the decision of what to do about it comes next. And it needs to be couched in love. It needs to be full of love. If you go to chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Let love be genuine. He says, if you're going to discern the will of the Lord, then love ought to be genuine. You ought to abhor the things that are evil, and you ought to never let go the things that are good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then the next part of it is pretty fascinating. Can you say it with me? Outdo one another in showing showing honor. Almost make it a competition. Who can do the best? Of loving one another. When you're not slothful, in verse 11, uh, but you have zeal, you're fervent, you're serving the Lord, you rejoice in hope, verse 12, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. And if you look even in verse 14, bless those who are difficult to you, bless the ones who are judging you. Do not curse them, don't give them what they deserve rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep and verse 16 this is chapter 12 verse 16 live in harmony with each other where have we heard that before at the end of the book he says I really want you to live in harmony chapter 15 verse 5 because he's told them in chapter 12 verse 16 this is the way it's supposed to be you're supposed to be able to get along you're supposed to be able to march to the same drumbeat, to have harmony together. And that's one of the beautiful things that, that when I'm explaining how all of this comes together, uh, love often gets lost in the mix. And because I'm running out of time, I'm going to move a little further and say that our third point has to deal with the uh, what, what is the substance that keeps us right. It's kind of like what's the centerboard for your sailboat. And if you look at verse 22, you can see it pretty well. The center board for verse 22 is faith. Faith. Uh, I found it very, very interesting that faith is the commodity that changes it. It fixes the problems. Because when you are back dealing with a lack of love, the tendency for us is not to walk in love and to walk in hate or to walk in judgment. Okay. And when you walk in judgment, then you then you have real problems bad problems i said in in verse 13 chapter 14 i still have it in front of me verse 13 he says therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but let us rather discern or decide never to damage the others have you ever heard of this idea before that we're supposed to love one another well, Jesus said so, and if you go all the way back to the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments, imagine me going back to the Ten Commandments. Uh, see if you can help me to summarize these. The Ten Commandments, which are all there, are basically to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty simple. If we're going to live in harmony, then we, we are committing not to putting a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother, Verse 13. And that's what we find in the text here. We either hinder them or we demand something of them that is beyond the salvation equation. This is not a good thing for us. And that's why he says we should no longer pass judgment on those. We should never put these rules in place that are actually undermining the gospel. Now, if you watched the Martin Luther movie here with us last uh, Reformation Sunday night, we had a handful of folks that gathered and we watched this guy, a preacher man, wearing robes a lot of times, being a part of the known church of that day. And he got so frustrated. He got so frustrated because he did everything that the church told him to do and he still didn't have the love and the relationship with God. It's really, really difficult when you don't get that joy and that peace from God. That's why if I could reverberate verse 17 one more time, he says uh, in verse 16 and 17, so do not let what you regard as good to be evil spoken of, because God's kingdom is a matter, it's not all about what you eat or drink. God's kingdom focuses on not what goes into your mouth, but what's in your heart. It's about righteousness, about peace, and about joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is where we end up focusing most of our attention. And a lot of times we struggle. Because when Tracy and I using that same illustration, if we're walking down the path, she's going a path that's different than mine and it's not, and what she's doing is sin and what I'm not, well, let's just switch it. Let's say I'm in sin and she's perfect. Okay, so now I'm in sin. What am I going to do about it? Do we just pretend like it didn't happen? You know, that's foolishness. Scripture doesn't say that we should put blinders on or stick our heads in the sand. We are supposed to be aware of the times. We're supposed to discern what's going on. When you listen to the word preached, you're supposed to go home like the Bereans and make sure that what's in the text is what you heard and what the applications were are consistent with the truth of the gospel. You're supposed to study to show yourself approved before God too, just like me. And when you realize here that the deciding takes place that you, are, uh, that you are discerning what's going on and then you decide not to destroy the joy of another. You're not eager to, to destroy their salvation or to take that apart. I'm going to, next week we're going to look about the work of God in a person's life. And I'll explain that a little bit more. Uh, but, but we're supposed to approve them, verse 18, to greet them and salute them. Wouldn't it be wonderful that you could be able to look at folks and write your own chapter 16? There's Priscilla and Aquila. There's uh, Andronicus. There's all these other names that are in there. Paul knows them by name. And everyone that he mentions, he says, salute them. I almost want to stand here like this. But he ends up saying, greet them with a holy kiss. He says, you have fellowship with these people. You guys are in harmony. Don't act like you're in such discord. Don't quarantine yourselves from the body of Christ. Now, having said all that, this last application is the just shall live by faith. And this is the third point about faith. The substance to fix it is faith. Faith is what you need to live by. And let me just explain it like this. Martin Luther had done, he had done everything the church could have. He did all the works and the works were not enough. He finally reads in Scripture, in Ephesians, as well as in Romans, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. And when he came across Romans and he read it in the Greek, and he saw it in verse 17, 117, he says, The just shall live from faith to faith. And faith is the guiding principle. Faith is where it's at. And some of you might say, oh, love needs to be there. Let me tell you, if you don't get faith, then you can't please God. If you don't get faith, then you're not going to be able to even do the right things. There's a lot of people that have tasted of love in this life. There's a lot of different kinds of loves going on and a lot of kind of loving that shouldn't be going on. But when you have faith, you have eyes to see God. You see him, you see the beauty of holiness, the ugliness of sin, and the value of those other souls that you're cohabitating this planet with. That's what faith does. And when he says the just live by faith, it's not just on Sundays. It's 24-7. It's seven days a week. You live by faith. If you quote Paul in in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God rose from the dead. He sent his spirit into my heart and my life is now to live to him. Romans 12, that's why he begs us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And in chapter 14, as you're starting to digest all of this, then we are living next to people who have different opinions than us, but have Christian liberty. We need to live in harmony. And the only way you live in harmony is if your eyes are all fixed on Christ. Now let me make a couple applications. Are you one of the people that eat meats offered to idols? Or are you one of the people that only eats vegetables? Some of you might say, yeah, that's me. Some of you are afraid to do that because you're now labeled weak. (laughs) I'm not judging you. Had to get that in there. The point is, Is that you are free in Christ to eat vegetables. And you're free in Christ to eat meats offered to idols. But you are not free to destroy and bully and take down the brothers and sisters in the faith. That's missing love. And if you're pursuing love, you're going to realize that the love of Christ constrains us. It holds us back. It keeps us in the guardrails. And when you look at the cross, you're going to realize that, that thorn of, of uh, the, the, uh, the crown of thorns, it's not meant for you and me. And it's not meant for your wife or your husband. It's not meant for your kids. Jesus took it in our place. Greater love couldn't have been shown. And the eyes of faith allow us to see that 24-7. There should never be a time where you can say, I'm going to turn off my Christianity. I'm just going to be like the world today. You know, we could check to see your bank book, where you you spend your money. We could check your Netflix account and see what kind of things you view. We could check your attendance to see whether you even go to church. We could check to see whether you tithe or not. All these things we could see as external things. But I want to encourage you that the faith that you have that allows you to see God, Don't let that go, how precious it is. And it doesn't matter if somebody says nasty stuff about you or not. In fact, let me quote Jesus. Blessed are you when you're reviled, when they persecute you for saying all kinds of, a manner of evil against you falsely. Make sure it's falsely, for my sake. You see that in Matthew 5, one of the first sermons Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. As we wrap up, I make a couple of applications, since we don't have communion and we don't have a lot of other things. So what about the masks? What about the vaccine shot? What about the politics? Are you more righteous than the person sitting next to you? I have to tell you, it's a little difficult. (coughs) Maybe the Lord's driving me up so I can't deal with this. It's a little difficult when you have a husband and wife, one takes the shot and one doesn't. You know what's really cool? Is that they're still married. Just think about that for a moment. There are so many times, and it's come out of some of your lips because I've heard it. Maybe it's come out of my mouth. But we have been critical about somebody else because they chose to do something that we didn't do. Be careful. If you look at verse uh, 13 there, he says, let's not pass judgment any longer. This is what my encouragement is, because Christ has saved us. Let's make sure the major things are the major things and the minor things are the minor things. And I'll finish with this application of this. So, let's say Tracy and I go back to that illustration. I've been wrong. Well, does she divorce me? He's a bad guy. He's a bad apple. You don't know what he's like when he takes off his robe. <laughs> I'm hot. You are right. <laughs> I'm cooler now, right? <laughs> But when, when, you're, when you're trying to deal with the issue about judging one another, you've got to go back to understand what he said. If you're taking the shot as unto the Lord, great. If you're, taking the sh- if you're not taking the shot as unto the Lord, great. Because the point I'm trying to make is, is that you don't have to condemn, condemn everybody because this world is just a momentary passing through. But when it gets to some of those things that are blatant sins, like the abuse of sexual liberty, let me tell you, we live where a lot of rainbow flags fly, and there's a lot of legislation that's being passed, and nobody knows what was in the bill that just passed the House of Representatives yesterday. I don't think there's many pro-Christian things in it. I really don't think that they're going to try to encourage people to repent of sin and to get right with God. I think the tendency of this culture is we can take care of you. You don't need that God stuff. Don't let religion be a crutch. Those of you that cling to your Bibles and guns, let go of them. We're here and we're nice. We'll build it back better. We'll try to make sure that your world is wonderful. And you know what? I don't blame them for wanting to make a wonderful world. I want them to have a Barney world. I love you, you love me we're a happy country now the point I'm trying to say is it would be great if that was the way it was but when you don't have God when you don't have heaven when you don't have the forgiveness of sins then you're not ready for that day of true judgment when the judgment will not pass over you they don't have it And that's why they're coming up with alternatives. One of our mandates, and even this coming Tuesday, I'd love for you to pray. We're trying to to start or to work and partner with the ministry of Church Ambassador Network. We're really wanting to engage our culture and to try to reach people that make decisions and try to point them to Jesus Christ because without Jesus Christ, they're leaning on their own understanding and they're creating their own heaven on earth. And it's not very heavenly. Let me go to prayer. Lord Jesus, there are a lot of us that are wrestling through some issues. Lord, I could have gone down a whole lot more lists of the things that people have been uncomfortable with. Lord, the things that I've been uncomfortable with. Lord, we realize that when these things come up, we need to discern the difference between what we think is right as an opinion and with what you have declared to be righteous. Lord, we know that righteousness doesn't change. You can't redefine the family just because there was a Supreme Court vote. Lord, we realize that you can't change biology just because some people are trying to be inclusive. Lord, we realize that the truth Is what sets us free, not the confusion and not the the reworking of things. Oh, Lord, I pray that in the days ahead, that your people, especially the ones gathering here, will be sharp, that we will not be deceived, even though there's wolves in sheep's clothing all around us, even though there's a cacophony of voices. Oh, Lord, I pray that there would be harmony with Scripture. Oh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't have to pass judgment on others to the idea of sending them to hell or wishing ill will. Lord, I pray instead that when we discern something is off, that love would overwhelm. And because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would seek not to to fake it and not to break it, but to make it, to make peace. Because Jesus, you've made peace with the Father for us. We thank you that as Romans 8 says, there is therefore no condemnation to any that are in Christ. Lord, I thank you that when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ at the very end, when we're at that final place, that we don't have to fear because we know that we have a loving Father who's going to welcome us home. And until that time, oh Lord, I pray that we might practice Paul's counsel to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And Lord, I pray that we would not pass judgment on our brothers any longer improperly. In Jesus' name.